Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Well, you know, we've been looking at October 7th, 2015 is the likely end of the world for some time now, and we've focused a lot on that. And as I mentioned, the the billboard, the mobile billboard in El Salvador asked the question, will the world end October 7th, 2015? And, you know, there there's also something else in view besides the destruction of the world that we're looking forward to with with a good expectation on that date. And that is the creation of a new earth. The creation of a new heaven and a new earth. The uh, Bible indicates it'll be simultaneous. This present world must be destroyed. And then God will speak and create a new heaven and new earth. And I, I just know from talking with some people on the recent track trip that, that I went on, and and mentioning that because they they would say something like so there's no hope for us when they would see the message no more salvation or the world is going to end October 7th 2015 and they would say so there's no hope for us that's it and and I would just remind them well actually there's great hope for the child of God because the bible says it's not the end it's not death for the one that God saves, but it's actually the beginning of eternity. It's the beginning of the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. And a lot of times, after talking about the new earth, I, I would look at the person and it was like it wasn't registering. And I, and I, it just hit me that there's a lot of ignorance in the world concerning God's promise that he's going to create a new earth. They, they don't have that understanding. They're focused so intently, so um, completely upon this world that there's no thought of a new heaven and a new earth. And that's why some people say this world's never going to end. Because they think it's going to go on forever whenever... The idea of the end of the world comes up. It's instantly dismissed because deep down they feel it's never going to end. It's going to continue on and on, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how evil things turn, no matter how wicked the world is, it's just going to continue on. That's the deep down belief of people, of unsaved people. Now, we'll, Maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe it's a vestige of the remnant of the original creation. That, that God did create this world to be eternal. If man had obeyed him and kept the law, and then man would have lived forever. Adam and Eve would have lived. The world would have continued. Because if Adam and Eve didn't sin, God would not have brought corruption upon the present earth. But they did sin, and God did curse the earth and bring it into corruption. And since that time, the Bible has been clear, the world cannot 
continue on indefinitely. It cannot go on forever because it's cursed. It's cursed. It must be destroyed. And so God has warned, love not the world, neither the things of the world, for the world passeth away. Simple statement, but it's really teaching a very important truth. The world passeth away. And we've seen um, recently in the Revelation study, as we've gone into Revelation 21, and I, I want to turn there in Revelation 21, how God speaks of this beginning in verse 1. It says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So God just, in a few statements, in a, in a few verses, he says the, the present earth and heaven that we're a part of right now passes away. And he creates a new heaven and a new earth and he'll do it like that. In the snap of a finger, simultaneously, he destroys this world, this creation, and he creates a new heaven and new earth. You know, the, the Bible says it plainly here, but uh, it kind of struck me when looking up other scriptures that related to this subject that God doesn't say it that plainly that often. He says it here in Revelation 21. He says it in Revelation 22 concerning destroying the world and creating a new earth. He says it in Isaiah 65. I will create a new heaven and a new earth. He says it in Isaiah 66 verse 22. And as far as I can tell, um, as far as making a statement that he'll destroy the world and create a new earth, that's it except for Second Peter chapter 3. And in Second Peter 3, it says in um, verse 10, speaks of the day of the Lord. And then verse 12 says, Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise... Look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So there he says it again in a a very detailed way. He destroys the world by fire and he creates a new heaven and a new earth 
where righteousness will dwell. But outside of Second Peter and the couple of places in Revelation and Isaiah, in those two references I gave, pretty much Jesus said the meek will inherit the earth, but he didn't specify which one. He just said the meek would inherit the earth. And there are statements like that sprinkled throughout the Bible. But specifically, God only says it a few times plainly. He says it many times, numerous times spiritually. And God says it spiritually with the promise to Abraham that he would give Abraham and his seed the land of Canaan. Let's go back to Genesis 17. In Genesis 17, and I'll read a few verses here, beginning in verse 5. It says there, Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, in their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, and I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So there's God's promise to Abraham, that he's going to give all the land of Canaan to him and his seed. Notice how many times it said seed, and to your seed after you. And, you know, when people read this, especially theologians, who operate under the principle or the hermeneutic that they have devised out of their own mind, they they say you must take the plain, literal meaning of a verse or a passage, and once you have that, seek no other meaning. That's taught in seminaries. That's what pastors believe. That's what theologians who write commentaries teach. Plain, literal meaning. Seek no other meaning. And I can guarantee you, and actually God does in the Bible, but it's a guarantee that people who operate under that principle will be a million miles away from truth. As far away from truth as you can get, if you believe that lie, because it's out of man's own mind, that uh, who said seek the plain literal meaning? Christ spoke in parables. He certainly didn't say it. But it's taught to many pastors and priests and whoever comes to the Bible, the uh, historical grammatical method of interpretation, and you you look for the meaning and then you seek no other. Because here it is. And isn't it plain? Isn't it very straightforward what God says to Abraham? And to Abraham's seed, uh, he has a covenant he's going to establish with him. And, and he, he promises Abraham 
this land, and he even names the land, all the land of Canaan. So he very specifically says it's this land of Canaan, I will give to you and your seed for an everlasting possession. But the the problem is that they do understand this literally and directly, and they seek no other meaning. And and so they have come up with a, a teaching that the Jews are very important. The Israelites are extremely important. The land over in the Middle East is super important. And, and you know, the, all the battles that have raged for thousands of years over Jerusalem and, and over the um, land of Israel. Why? Because of the promise. The promise given to Abraham and repeated to Isaac and Jacob. And we'll, we'll look at that. The land is yours for an everlasting possession. And the Muslims think it's theirs through Ishmael because he came from Abraham. And the Jews think, well, we're the seed of Abraham, so it's ours. And, and that's why the constant conflict, and they're both wrong. They're both wrong. There, there was a giving of the actual physical land, but that was fulfilled and, and done away with, and that was only so God could teach something else and use that to teach something else. You know, let me, before we get into a discussion of the seed, because there's two errors that theologians make concerning Genesis 17 and this promise of God. Number one, who the seed is. And number two, what lands in view. They, they make those two errors all the time. But before we get into that, let's prove from the Bible that you must look for the spiritual meaning. And if you don't look for the spiritual meaning, you fail to give glory to God, and you're, uh, again, far away from truth. In Luke 17... There were ten lepers that came to Christ, or Christ encountered them. In Luke 17, verse 12, it says, And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, Show yourselves unto the priests. So Jesus meets ten lepers and he says, go, show yourselves unto the priests. Now he said that because back in Leviticus 14, God gave this commandment. In Leviticus 14, verse 2, this shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest. Now, how many lepers were cleansed in the Old Testament? Name in the Syrian is about it. There were many lepers in Israel, but God only cleansed name in the Syrian. But God gave this law that a leper in the day of his cleansing shall be brought unto the priest and the priest shall go forth out of the camp and the priest shall look and behold, if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper, then shall the priest command to take for him that is to be cleansed two birds alive and clean and cedar wood and scarlet and hyssop. So the priest performs a sacrifice for the leper in the day of his cleansing. 
And Jesus is referring to that when he meets ten lepers. He says, go, show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? They're not found the return to give glory to God. Save this stranger. Let me ask you the question. Where are the nine? Where'd they go? They went to, the they went to Jerusalem to find a priest. Of course. Of course they did. Jesus told them to do that very thing. And they're, they're on their way, all ten, and suddenly the leprosy is gone from their body. And one of them, the stranger, a Samaritan, he just turns around and runs back to Christ. And the other nine say, oh no, oh no. I heard the plain, literal words of Jesus. And he said, go show yourself to a priest. And so they obeyed the letter of the law. They obeyed seemingly what God wanted them to do, and yet Jesus faults them. And He doesn't commend them because they listened to Him and and took His words literally, but He commends the stranger who glorifies God. And remember what God said in Proverbs Proverbs 25.2, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is the search out a matter. And their kings points to believers. So Christ gives the law that was given in Leviticus 14. A leper in the day of his cleansing must show himself to the priest. And one out of ten, a remnant, one out of ten, God's elect, goes to Jesus because Jesus is the high priest of his people. Because Jesus is the one that the law pointed to all along. He's the one that the sinner is to go to, and he is commended as glorifying God. And there God is showing us. And it's a big truth. It's a very big truth that do not take the word of God literally because you can fail to glorify God. Now, of course, maybe I shouldn't say always. There are some statements. God says, thou shall not kill He means you should not kill physically, but there's always a deeper spiritual dimension that the lepers, nine out of ten, missed that the church today misses. When they teach that you're to seek the plain, literal understanding of a passage and nothing further, don't, don't dare speak about a spiritual meaning, well, they're, they're the blind leading the blind into a pit. And let's go back to um, Genesis and look at some of the statements God gave concerning the promise to the seed, beginning in Genesis 13. In Genesis 13, verse 14, And Jehovah said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, 
Lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth. So that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. In chapter 15 of Genesis, verse 7, And he said unto him, I am Jehovah that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord Jehovah, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Then skip down to verse uh, 12. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. In verse 18, In the same day Jehovah made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt. And and it goes on to describe the dimensions. So unto the seed, unto the seed. You can see why the um, theologians would look to the Jews. They would look to the Israelites. It, 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 it's continually repeated in Genesis 28, verse 3, And God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people, and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. And that's Isaac speaking to Jacob. In verse 12, And he dreamed, Jacob dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, Jehovah stood above it and said, I am Jehovah, God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee why give it and to thy seed. Just again and again, God is giving this promise. And, and verse 14, And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. God promises and reiterates the promise and goes over the promise with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. And there's there's just too many passages to list where God gives the same promise to the Israelites um, let's let's also go to Genesis 35, and in verse 9, it says, And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. 
and he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee, I will give it into thy seed after thee, will I give the land. And this was drilled into the minds of the Jews. The promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that when Jesus comes along, and and remember when Christ was speaking to the Jews in John chapter 8, and, and he spoke of truth, setting them free. In John 8, verse 31, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man, How sayest thou ye shall be made free? They know who they are. They know who they are. We're Abraham's seed. And I think there's a little probably puffed up chest there. And so the promises given to Abraham are ours. They're ours. The land, the the promises sometimes, if you notice, that you'll live forever. The people, the seed would live forever. The land would be an everlasting habitation. And it's ours. It belongs to us. Well, in verse 36, Christ sets them straight of John 8. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, or Abraham's seed, ye would do the works of Abraham. So on one hand, Jesus says, he acknowledges, you are the seed of Abraham. But then on the other, he says, if... You were Abraham's children. You would do the works of Abraham. And a little further down, Christ says in verse 44, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. Now the seed means you're a descendant of Abraham. Abraham is your father. And, and, and so if Satan or the devil is your father, then that makes you the seed of the devil, the seed of Satan. And and so Jesus is saying, on one hand, you're Abraham's seed. On the other hand, you are not his seed because Abraham did not do these kinds of works that you're doing. Well, how, how can we understand this? Um, well, God explains in Romans chapter 9, in Romans 9, he, he says it so clearly, you wonder how any theologian can get away with the stuff they write about Israel being the people of God and, and the land in the Middle East being that everlasting habitation. I don't understand how they can get away with it. 
I don't understand why people listening to them would not say, let's go over to Romans 9 and, and other places and where God clearly defines and explains who the seed is. And, uh, well, of course, um, some people have probably have come up to them and pointed out these passages and, and they don't have eyes to see or ears to hear and, and then it just doesn't register. But in Romans 9 verse 6, not as though the word of God has taken none effect. For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Did you know that? I'm sure you did, many of you. They are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. And that is those that God saves through his salvation program, the seed of promise, the seed of Isaac or Christ. They're, they're counted for the seed, but the Jews who are uh, physically circumcised. And in Genesis 17, God goes on to speak of the sign of the covenant. The, the sign of the seed was to take that sign and be circumcised. Well, uh, just because they've been circumcised does not mean they are the promised seed. Let, let's go back to Romans 2. In Romans 2, in verse 28. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly. He is not a Jew which is um, living in Jerusalem. And he's a descendant of physical descendant of Abraham. God says he's not a Jew. I'm sure that wouldn't go over too well if you went over to Jerusalem, and you had a track saying you're not a Jew, <laughs> that probably wouldn't go over too well. But it's the Word of God. It's what God says in the Bible. He is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. And that would be the outward sign that God gave to Jews, physical descendants of Abraham, you must be circumcised. And God says, well, you're not a Jew, and that's not circumcision. You see how he wrote the Bible? See how the Lord has written the Bible? Uh, the way God writes the Bible, it, it, you know, you can see why people struggle with it. A Jew's not a Jew. Circumcision is not circumcision. We'll find out the land of Israel is not the land of Israel. It's how God wrote the Bible. And He explains, He makes these statements here and there to define things. But then, if people, again, you need ears to hear, and the only way you get ears to hear is if Christ gives them to you. If you lack ears to hear, you're going to think a Jew is a Jew. And circumcision circumcision. And the land is the land. And the promises are to the Jew, to the circumcised, and for that land. Because you don't 
have the understanding that must come from God. Well, it goes on to say here in verse 29, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men, but of God. So you're a Jew if you're born again, in other words. If God has saved you, you're a Jew spiritually. It's what Galatians calls spiritual Israel. And it's one reason why God still speaks of Judea and Jerusalem throughout the Bible in the New Testament. Let those that be in Judea flee to the mountains. Well, why does he keep using those kinds of references? Because he views his people as spiritual Jews. And where do Jews live? In Judea. But actually, he's talking about Gentiles and Jews that are saved of all the nations that are in the churches of the world. But still, he, he uses that language. And, and just like a Jew's not a Jew, circumcision's not circumcision, the land is not the land, Judea is not Judea, but it's referring to the church. And we, we can see consistency in the Bible when we approach it in the way that God would have us to approach it. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. You know, here's what God commanded in Deuteronomy 10. And this would be a good verse to show anyone who says, well, God would never give you a command you can't perform. Have you ever heard someone say that? God will never command you to do something you can't do. All right, well, then obey this. Deuteronomy 10, verse 16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart. So you need a knife? And, and what's gonna happen if you even try? You're gonna, you're gonna die. You're gonna die. And I hope, of course, nobody should ever try. It's like when God says, cut off your hand or cut off your foot or pluck out your eye. He, God doesn't want anyone to do that literally. And He doesn't want anyone to circumcise the foreskin of their heart. As a matter of fact, I don't think there is a foreskin of the heart. But it's a command that God has given to instruct the Jews that when he was talking about circumcision, he never had in mind, or, or uh, a, well, no, it's, it's true, there was a physical sign of circumcision, but he had in mind a deeper spiritual meaning through that sign. And, and the Jews should have said, uh, as they read this law of Moses, I can't do this, O Lord. I can't do this. How can anyone do this? Just as when Jesus would say in the New Testament, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That should have been the response. I can't do that. How can anybody do that? And yet God says what's impossible with man is possible with God. And same thing with circumcision of the heart. Look at um, Deuteronomy 30 in verse 6. And Jehovah thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed 
There's the seed again. The heart of thy seed to love Jehovah thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. So God gives a command nobody can perform, no one can obey. And then he says, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll circumcise your heart. And of course, this just relates to getting a new heart and a new spirit and becoming a new creature, becoming a Jew inwardly in our soul. Now, God, if we're saved, he looks at us as though we are of the seed because we've become a Jew. So we're of the promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. We are the seed of Israel. The, not the physical Jew. He is not the seed. No, that's what Jesus said to them. I, well, on one hand, I know you are Abraham's seed, but actually, you're of your father the devil. But the spiritual, the elect, are counted for the seed. Um, Let's go to Galatians 3, where God's going to explain more concerning the seed. And uh, again, with this information in the Bible, how is it that there, there can be Christians that exalt Israel? They used to have that sign on 95, pray for Jerusalem. And there are many, many churches that are involved in politics when it concerns Israel in the Middle East because they have this super high regard for the Jews and for the land over there based on a misinterpretation of what the Bible is saying. And actually, uh, here's what God says about the seed in Galatians 3 and verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed where the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So there's further insight, further understanding of the seed, that it's singular. It's not plural. And God saves a great multitude, so you expect to thy seeds. To, to all the descendants, whether spiritually or physically, you would think it would be plural, but it's singular, and that's because it, it was Christ all along. To thy seed, which is Christ, and this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. Now let's just stop a second and think about this um, covenant that was confirmed and then the law came 430 years after. So when was the covenant confirmed? Well, when was the law given? After the coming out of Egypt, when Moses went up into the mount, God gave him the law. And so we could say about 1447 B.C., sometime in that year, 430 years was the time that Israel spent in Egypt to the self-same day. So 430 years earlier was 1877, and the year that Jacob entered into Egypt. 
And God said to Jacob in Genesis 46, in verses 3 and 4, and he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and will also surely bring thee up again, and Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. So I uh, go into Egypt and make of thee a great nation would be the fulfillment of the seed. Your seed will be as the stars of heaven for multitude. So the Lord is reaffirming the covenant with Jacob at the point he's to leave the land of Canaan. Remember, that land was very important. The land of Canaan, especially to the Jews and to Jacob, and God had already told Jacob uh, a few times that I'm going to give you all this land. And now comes the time of famine, at which we know typifies the Great Tribulation. And God is telling Jacob, leave the land, the promised land, go to Egypt, and yet there I'll make of you a great nation, and then I'll bring you back. I'll bring you back. And we can see the spiritual picture. The uh, Great Tribulation is a time where God's people left the church. God saved the great multitude of people in the world, typified by Egypt. And then God brings them back to the land. Well, what would that typify? What would that typify? Entering the new heaven and new earth. There's the deliverance out of Egypt. All the Jews are delivered. All that's spiritual Israel. And then there, there's immediate entry into the land of Canaan. True or false? <laughs> false. False. Very false. Very false. Forty years of testing. Forty days of searching out the land. Forty days Moses is on the mount. Two times. Forty days. Forty years of testing. Forty, forty, forty. Then they enter the land. Then they enter the land following a series of trials and tests. And and then that promise is fulfilled. But I'm getting off track. Let, let's go back to Galatians 3 and verse 18. So, well, verse 17, God said the law 430 years after cannot disannul. Then verse 18, for if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. And now we we have a problem because if the seed singular is Christ, how does that apply to us? If the land, the everlasting possession is given to you and your seed, and now God says the seed is Jesus, well, how do we identify with that seed? Well, um, the answer is given at the end of Galatians 3. It says... In verse 26, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you as as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ... Then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So 
If you're Christ, you're also Abraham's seed in Christ. As God spoke of the seed, singular, he also had in view all of those that Jesus would save. And, you know, now thinking of that, then go on maybe later today and read Galatians 4, where, where God then speaks of the heir being under tutors and, and governors until the time appointed. You know, understanding this, that we are the seed and an heir of the inheritance, which is the, all the land of Canaan. That's our land. It, it belongs to the seed. It is the inheritance of God to the Jews who are Jews inwardly. That is your land and it's going to be yours for an eternal possession. Uh, And so it really helps to see, you know how I was mentioning earlier that God speaks of a new heaven and a new earth. And He doesn't talk about it that often, but He does talk about the land of Canaan again and again and again. And the promise that we read in the New Testament that He refers to, um, that's normally derived from the promise to Abraham concerning the land of Canaan. And it's actually a promise of the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, let's, let's go to Isaiah 65. And I mentioned this earlier. This is one of the places where God speaks directly to a new heaven and new earth. In Isaiah 65, verse 17. It says, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And that would be the elect that, that are Jews, and so Jews are found in Jerusalem. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that has not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people. And mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble. For they are the seed of the blessed of Jehovah and their offspring with them. There God is making it a little clearer. The elect, He speaks of a new heavens and new earth, and then He brings in the fact that they are the seed of the blessed. Uh, Also in Isaiah 66, in verse 22, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith Jehovah, so shall your seed and your name remain. To see how God, that's about the only two times in the Old Testament he speaks so, 
directly of a new heaven and new earth and he mentions the seed, the seed of the promised seed because the promise of an everlasting possession. And let's go back to Genesis 17 before we close. In Genesis 17, verse 8, And I will give it unto thee and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So right away we know that it cannot be the land in the Middle East because what did Second Peter 3 say? The whole earth is going to be destroyed. Is the whole earth going to be destroyed except for the land of Canaan? That would be odd, wouldn't it? Uh, to have a patch of land sort of floating in space. Is that going to be an everlasting possession? Of course not. That's ridiculous. The whole earth, the whole heaven, the whole universe is destroyed and God creates a new earth and a new heaven and then that new earth is Canaan. What we could actually call it that if we want. The new earth is the land of Canaan and now he's going to put his people that are all Jews, all made Jews, all circumcised in heart, and all inwardly Jews of the seed of Abraham, and God's going to place them in the new earth, the land of Canaan, where they will live forever and ever. And uh, that that's part of the promise that, that God is giving here. Well, we concentrated on the seed. Lord willing, in our next study, we'll look more at the promised land and what the Bible has to say about that because, well, you know, again, if we're correct, if we're understanding October 7th, 2015 uh, correctly, if we're understanding the Bible correctly, and that is the the end of the world, it's also the beginning of the new heaven and the new earth and the day that God will transport His people into that land. Do you believe it? It's hard to believe. No, seriously. It's hard to believe. Because we live here. We're a part of this world. We're, we're ingrained in everything in this world. We read the Bible. We read the promises of God. We, we understand them. We know they're true. We know, as God said in Revelation 1, these words are true and faithful. But the actual doing of it, oh Lord, we've been waiting and waiting and waiting as all your people have. And, and it's hard for us to understand that, that final piece, the actual end of all things and beginning of the new heaven and new earth. It must happen. Isn't that true? Because God's word is true. And so it must happen, and it must happen on a particular day. There must be an end. Actually, Proverbs 23, 18 says, there is, surely there is an end. So there's no doubt about that. And at the end, you know, oh, it can't be this generation. It can't be this present world, right? 
I mean, just look at the world. Look how wonderful it is. Look how well people are doing. No, no, we all know there, if any generation is, is right for the end of the world, it's this generation. If any time in the whole history of the world, you could look at what the Bible has to say and, and sort of paint the picture of what that day would be. You would paint a picture if you could even imagine the evil that we see all around us today of a world just like this. There, there's no reason that this world should continue on. And, and that's a big giveaway when people say, oh, it's not going to happen. Such confidence, such assurance, definitely without any question, it's not going to happen. The world will continue on forever. They, they basically are saying, but they never say because man is doing good. You don't hear them say that. If there's never a reason given, is there? They never give a reason. God won't destroy the world because try to fill in that blank. Because of what? No, man does only evil continually and there is no reason whatsoever why God would permit it to continue. Except if we're incorrect. If we're incorrect. But uh, I haven't seen where we're incorrect. So let's continue to look towards this day with a good expectation. Not at destruction, but at the beginning of a new heaven and new earth. So let's close and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank You for all Your blessings to us. Blessings we don't deserve. Promises that are beyond our understanding. Uh, they're so wonderful. We're not told that we're an heir of an earthly fortune, that we're an heir of uh, receiving a million or a hundred million dollars and all sorts of earthly things. If we were told that, we'd probably be jumping around. And with excitement, we couldn't contain it. And yet, Your promise is far greater. Everlasting life in everlasting blissful state uh, in an everlasting glorious creation and just the rich, abundant blessings poured out upon the seed forevermore. And Father, we, we know these things. We thank You for this hope and this good expectation. But we do pray that you would, you would encourage the hearts of your people and strengthen us to continue on to endure to the end and, and to go through the fire and glorify you as we do so. We pray that you would bless the track trip to Toronto, to Central America, Nicaragua and Costa Rica, to Brazil. Bless those that are handing out tracks today, wherever they are. We ask that you would um, encourage your people, that, that you would help us to feed sheep, and may you comfort the hearts of all your elect. And Father, we thank you. We pray for the radio broadcasts in China, the Philippines, Indonesia. We ask that you would bless the listeners there. 
and anyone who is listening to your word. And Father, we thank you for uh, all the blessings that you've given us and none that we've earned, none that we deserve, none that is because of us, but all because of Christ. And Father, we uh, pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.